we're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you weren't with us last week, the very last thing was Judas, in the middle of this, this great gift of uh, worship to Jesus, Judas got mad and left. Now, I'm saying got mad. The text doesn't say, but the text says he immediately left and went to betray Jesus when he saw this waste of perfume that was worth, as we said, about $45,000. He was offended by that, and he went out to sell Jesus later for a few coins, I think 30 silver coins, which I don't think is $45,000, but I don't know, maybe. Um, And so at the end of last week, it was kind of like, oh, Judas is scary. How could you do this? That's how I felt. How could you do this to Jesus? If you've read the Gospels, you know that this is a key moment in the ministry and life of Jesus. Today, we're going to continue in the Gospel of Mark chapter 14, but we're going to see that this is all part of God's plan. It's not to remove any responsibility, but it's all part of God's plan. But as I was reflecting on the text, I was wondering this question. See, here's the funny thing about people. We're social animals, right? We're social creatures. I mean, we we have the ability to communicate with one another, to know one another, to try to know one another. One of the reasons that marriage is such a difficult thing in life is because two people really, really try to know each other well. And you find out that's really hard to do. Trying to even know yourself sometimes. But you know, we're really blessed in life. When we're really blessed, we might get a handful of people that would draw near to us and that we could trust. And if you think about it, I mean, at the end of life, whatever it is, if you have been surrounded by a group of people who you could truly trust and truly know, I believe you would say, I've had a blessed life. We're social creatures. But I wonder today, what would happen if you had that circle that you had worked and you had served, you had loved, you had prayed with and you had done things and you just knew each other and one of them betrayed you? How would you respond? I mean, I want you to think about that, really. I'm not talking about a stranger on the street betrayed you. I'm not talking about your enemy betrayed you. I'm not talking about people who've gone your whole life to to stop you in your tracks, but someone that you truly had intimate relationships with, you really knew, and in the moment, you got betrayed. However you want to say it. Stabbed in the back, right? Two-faced, whatever it is. Evil, wicked, hateful. How would you respond? Because we know Jesus, Judas went to betray Jesus. And the question is, how, how would we respond to betrayal? I want to do what we do. I know we prayed already a couple times. We want to pray one more time because this is God's word. <laughs> the Bible is God's word. <laughs> Handed down to us. And, and if you've not read it, I want to encourage you to read the Bible for yourself. Like, get it out. Dust it off. Pull your phone out. Download the Bible app, right? Get on your computer. Whatever you got to do. And read some scripture for yourself because it's God's word to us. And not only that, but when we read God's word, the Holy Spirit directs us to understand it. So that's why we pray every time. We're going to pray again today for that very direction, the teaching of the Holy Spirit of God. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we've come here today. We confess it freely and fully to worship you. And as as much as we come to worship you and glorify you, we confess freely and fully that we are sinful creatures who have no ability to do that on our own. We have no wisdom apart from you. We have no direction apart from you. Matter of fact, we are prone to wander into the most treacherous places alone. But you promise that you come and you teach 
and you love and you give to your people. And we utterly need you. So today, would you, would you teach us from your word? Would the words that you inspired to be written, that inspired to happen, inspired to be written, now inspired to be heard and believed and lived out in our lives, the same spirit of God. May that happen for your glory and for our good. We desperately need you to teach. We love you so much. We thank you for the chance today to continue to learn from Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. We're going to look at Mark 14, starting in chapter 14, verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the end of your chair row. I would really encourage you to get one and look at it. Page 710. If you brought a Bible, awesome. Gospel of Mark. Here we go. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he went, he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow that man. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my great room where I may eat Passover with my disciples? That man will show you to a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. 16, the disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. And so they prepared the Passover meal. A couple of things that we kind of frame out this part of the text that I want to talk about is, first of all, you must recognize that they are there to celebrate Passover. So the disciples are like, hey, we've been coming, and he's been teaching in the temple courts, right? We talk about him coming and going from Bethany to teach, but here he is, and the disciples say, we have to make a Passover meal so that you can lead that for us. And, and so they kind of say, how are we going to do that, Jesus? Where are we going to do that? I mean, it could be just as likely they would have, would have done it in Bethany, where they've been hanging out, eating at the table with people. And Jesus tells them the story. He sends them into the city with this very specific instruction. I find that's interesting right away. There's a couple of things you have to kind of hold in tension. I hope you do this morning as you're looking at the scriptures. The one is the Passover that they're eating together. It's just a Passover. It's going to happen again next year. It's the Passover we do every year. We've done it since we were babies. Our grandma and grandpas did it. Everybody does Passover meal. It's the biggest celebration. And the other, of course, is what Jesus is going to make it into, this Passover meal which will be different. And so they go and they look for these things that Jesus says. I want to kind of walk through there real quick and see what Jesus' instructions are. Look at what he says to the two disciples. Notice the numbers here. By the way, everything is important. The two disciples, he says to them, go into the city and find a man carrying a jar of water who will meet you. I don't think we can fully understand how crazy Jerusalem must be that time of year. I mean, I'm not even acting like I understand how crazy it could be. Maybe it was like three people hanging out in Jerusalem and one guy had a jar of water. I don't think that's likely. I mean, I think it's like there's a needle in the haystack. Go find the needle in the haystack. The needle's going to lead you to another place you need to go. But he tells his two disciples, he says, go in and there's a man. Now, if you read that text, you might say, well, the man with the jar might have been looking for these two. He's, he's got a jar. I don't know if he's carrying it on his, or his head or he's got a wagon. I don't know how he's carrying the jar. Maybe he's got a stick with two buckets. But he's walking around carrying water, I guess looking for two guys that Jesus is going to send. 
still. Have you ever tried to find one other person, two other people in a crowd? Like even if you go to like an arena, have you ever tried to find, I get overwhelmed with faces. I'm like, who, where's everyone, you know? <laughs> I actually wonder if Jesus sent two because one would be like, oh, this ain't going to work. <laughs> so you need to go, Jesus said it's going to work, man. Just, you just got to look for the guy with the water. The water, you know. I mean, can you imagine how this really, really practically looks? Just walking through Jerusalem going, anybody got any water over there? This is what Jesus said, right? Did we hear him right? Looking for a guy with a jar of water. Come on. All right, so he says, go into there. He's going to meet you. And then he says this. So first of all, that's like a servant meeting a servant. I would argue that the guy carrying the jar of water wasn't necessarily all that important. I mean, it's important if you want water, but... So you have servants, the disciples of Jesus, meeting other servants, the people who are serving in this household. And then he says this. So, servant, you meet a servant and follow that man. And say to the owner of the house that he enters. Now that's interesting, isn't it? There's so much in here, guys. Say to the house. It, it's not even like he said, find the guy with the water and say, hey, I'm going to your master's house. And then go tell your master I'm here. It says, watch the house that he enters and then say to the owner of that house. The teacher says, I'm, is my room ready? So this whole thing, I'm going to break this down in a second, a little bit, a little bit, a few possibilities here of, of what's going on. So Jesus says these words, he says, where is my guest room that I might eat with my disciples? Where is my guest room that I might eat with my disciples? That's what he says to who? The owner of the house. Have you ever had house guests? Do they usually show up and say, where's my room and my food at your house? <laughs> That's just a strange way to say that. Say to the owner of that house, servant, person of no, you know, no importance, uh, my, the teacher says, where is my guest room that I might eat with my disciples? That's us. <laughs> Passover. It's remarkable. He sends them to ask this question. Man, there's a lot in here. I want to, and then, okay, we're going to say this, and then we're going to come back. The disciples go in. I would have to believe in faith. I know, weak disciples. He said it. Let's watch for the guy with the jar of water. There he is. Let's go to the house. And you just say, owner, where? The teacher says, where's my room? What does the word say happens? They went, and they found what? Everything. Just like Jesus said it would be. Exactly like he said it would be. I make these jokes about the guy with the water, but they're like, there's the guy with the water, just like Jesus said. He's going this way. Let's follow him. There's the house of the owner. Owner, where's my master's room? He shows us up to a room in his place. Guess what? Everything's already prepared in the room. It's ready for Passover. Just like Jesus said. What? Okay, so some possibilities. <laughs> I'm going to lay out three. There's many, many more. There's infinite possibilities. You could speculate all day long, but three possibilities of what's happening here. One, Jesus got really lucky. <laughs> you know, like he's like, all right, go in and look for a guy with the water <clears throat> and go to the house and say, hey, where's the room? And uh, he'll show you to the room. And he just lucked out, right? Happy accident. Uh, two is, is that um, 
God had a, met with this a guy beforehand. Um, that, that God had been in teaching there and he had met this man and he said, hey, um, Passover's come up, can you make a room for me? And he made arrangements and he said, hey, can you send out your water carrier and, and look for my two disciples? I'm going to send them in. It's going to be this whole faith exercise for them, you know, but this can be cool. And then he made a plan and then the guys fell into Jesus' plan. He had arrangements made they didn't know about. And so they're on this journey and then they discover it and they're like, ah, oh, it's just like Jesus said. Second possibility, he made plans with this guy. The third uh, possibility is that Jesus knew it would all work out when he sent him. He knew this is how it's going to be. This is what's going to happen. And when the disciples lived in to what Jesus knows, it's true. It happens. They live into this space. Where Jesus knows it's going to all work out. I have a question for you, a, per, a personal question for you this morning in your life. Because I don't want this to be a text about Jesus back then, back there. It certainly is. But I want it to be about our lives. How would your life look different if you claim to follow Jesus... If you claim to be a disciple, a disciple is a learner, mathetes, you learn from Jesus, how might your individual life be different if you believe that Jesus knows the places he's sending you will all work out? For the ones going, this is crazy. Sherry said this morning, this has been a crazy morning. But Jesus knows it will all work out. How much differently might your family life be? Maybe your parental relationship with your parents or, or your marital relationship with your spouse or, or your parental relationship with your children. If as a believer in Jesus Christ, you believed that Jesus knows it'll all work out. Do you, do you feel that? How different that is? If you begin to have less confidence in the things that you see, the things that you experience, the things that your mind contorts and twists into fear and terror and enemies, and you believe in the reality that Jesus has sent you, and so it's going to all work out. And not just work out like, you know, worked out for me, but glorify Him. I uh, can't imagine that when the disciples who went were shown to the room by the owner of the house, and the room was ready. They weren't like, wow. <laughs> wow. One more said, your life, family life. Um, how about work life? If you're in work, how different is it if you believe that Jesus has sent you? We commission people. We talk about this all the time. We commission the staff. We commission uh, Drew. We're going to commission Marissa in two Sundays on the 30th. If you're going to be here for that, I hope you come out. We're going to commission Marissa for the work. We do that. But listen, God is sovereignly sending you out to your jobs every day, to the places that you work, to your employer relationships. How different would it be if you believed that Jesus is sending you out because he knows it's going to all work out? That layoff comes, you're in the boss's office, everything's upside down, you thought you were planning a vacation and now you've got nothing but time because you have no job anymore, and you freak out. If you listen, you might hear Jesus saying, it'll all work out. What about for a church family, like Family Bible Church, pressing on and there's 
difficulty and there's adversity and the AC's not working right. And you're like, oh, this is never. How would it be different if we believe that Jesus sent us and it will all work out? Come on. We are kingdom people heading for a kingdom promise. We ought to live like it. I'll be different. Check it out. Verse 17, in the middle of this beautiful, orchestrated, divine circumstance, this is the word. When evening came, Jesus arrived then with the 12. Look where we're at. We're in the Passover room still. We, we did not leave. We're there in the, the Passover room. Jesus arrived then at that place with the 12. While they were reclining at the table, Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, the one who is eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one, listen, they began to say to him, surely not I. You don't mean me. Jesus answered this way in verse 20. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. So we have this juxtaposition again where you have this, this glorious moment of divine provision, and in the middle of it, Jesus says something that's hard but true. One of you will betray me here. And they begin to go around saying, surely it won't be me. I'm not going to betray you. Matter of fact, the word here says the 12. It says it twice. It's not just any disciples. It's, it's the 12. Huh? Those that Jesus spent the most time with. Those that he sent out and commissioned. Those that he, he had invested in most heavily. And he says this truth to them that one of you will betray me. I want to remind you this is a Passover meal. Do you remember Passover? Do you remember what it was about? It was about God bringing his righteous judgment upon the earth because this king would not let his people worship. And so he says, I'm going to pass, if you put the blood on the door, I'm going to pass over your house, but I'm going to strike the land that the king would finally let my people worship, terrify an earthly king. And in this place where they're remembering God's provision, God's divine protection, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And then he quotes something here. He says, the, he self-refers, the son of man will go exactly like it said. This is no surprise to Jesus. He says, it's going to happen exactly like it, it said. Who said? What said? Scripture said. If you've not read the Old Testament texts that point toward Jesus, um, it's powerful, and I say the, they all point to Jesus, but there are some that are so poignant about his suffering and his sacrifice for the sins of the world. It'll happen like it said, just like it is written, but woe to the man that does it. It'll be better for you if you had not been born. Isn't that crazy? You would actually think you play a real reverse and you say, oh, this, I wish I wasn't born. No, you're going to wish you hadn't been born if you betray the Son of Man. I just want to stop uh, for a minute and think about Mr. Judas Iscariot. You know what the word says? Each one of them looked Jesus in the eye and said, surely not I, including Judas. 
think about Judas for a minute. Judas had already gone out to betray Jesus, but he hadn't done it yet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's at the Passover meal with the rabbi who's telling him about these things, and he hasn't done it yet, and he says, surely not I. But he already has it in his heart and his mind, surely not I. And he sits there with the twelve. Look at what the word says. They were saddened when Jesus said this. I want to just say simply, being sad that someone will betray Jesus is a right state in our lives. Being sad, you know, there's much made about false guilt and all this, you know, all Christians, guilt. listen, betraying God's son is a sad state of things. I mean, it ought to make us mourn, weep. You, you cry because someone died, but you're, you're going to betray Jesus. You cry because things aren't perfect in your life, but you're going to betray Jesus. I mean, I don't think that's just, you know, them acting like, oh, no. You know, you've seen the painting of Jesus at the Last Supper. Oh, no, not truly. You think, no, they're, they're like, no way. We would not betray you, Jesus. We shed tears over a lot of stuff, but rarely over betraying Jesus. I don't know if you feel that, man, in your life. It's this whole conversation. Talk to God. That's all prayer is, talking to God. I know you. I made you. I know you did. I love you. I know you do. And you feel that coming up. I have a tendency to betray you. See, here's the thing. It's easy to, to vote Judas off the island. It's easy to throw him out. He's the bad apple, right? But the rest of the 11, they're good. <laughs> you know, we're, we're in the 11 twelfths of the scenario. We don't know who Judas is. Statistically speaking, it's not me. Jesus says this. Um, it's one who will dip in the bowl with me. You remember they were having a meal together. What did the words say? Did you catch it? They were reclining at the table. We talked about that last week. They were just chilling in the house. I know that's goofy to say, but it's true. And Jesus said, someone who has their hand in the bowl with me is going to betray me. And here's the catch. Everyone had their hand in the bowl with Jesus. There's this <laughs> moment where I think, oh, we just had Jesus and Judas. And he's like, da-da-da, <laughs> you know. Every disciple's going, my hand was in the bowl. Have you ever had a meal like that with friends? I remember one time we did uh, fondue together with some people, some people that we love and know, kind of, sort of. There were four of us, and we were having fondue together with the fondue pot, and one person at the table started getting weirded out because our food was touching. And they're like, that's gross. And I'm like, why? And they're like, because I'm going to put it in my mouth. I'm like, it's fresh food. We didn't do anything to it. But once I found out that it bugged them, that the food touched, I touched their food every time I had it in the pot. It was hilarious. Cheese would just be stringing. They'd be like, they would scrape that one off, you know, try again. The boiling water, the chocolate dessert, nothing. There's intimacy, isn't there? In the moment, this is a social occasion. In the moment, Jesus says, someone who had their hand in the bowl with me. Don't betray me. Hashtag awkward. You're there. Surely not I. I want to try something different. I need 12 volunteers. 
12 volunteers, be the first one, get us started. Somebody's going to do it. Lori, thank you. Go ahead. Christopher, thank you. Drew, thank you so much. 12. That's three. I can count. Three. Go ahead and stand up for me. Christopher, four. Steve, thank you, sir. That's four. Thanks, Rich. Five. We're halfway there. Living on a prayer. Six. Who else? Seven. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> She's getting the holy nudge. Denise Schwartz, thank you. Eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Wait, one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, I, I, I got ahead of myself with the counting thing. I need some more though, right? That's not it. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, one, one more. Oh, no one wants to be last. Ah, thank you, Annette. Taking one for the team. Twelve. Look around. Look at one another. One of you will betray Jesus. One of you will betray Jesus. And I know you're thinking, I wish I wouldn't have stood up for this illustration. <laughs> Fair enough. Who wants to sit down? Who wants to sit down? Somebody has to want to sit down right now. Like, I, I can just sit down. That'd be awesome. Nobody wants to sit down. You're all willing to stay in the pot to find out who betrayed Jesus. You're going to have a seat, Denise. You can sit down. Yeah, you can sit down. <laughs> oh, <laughs> did you hear what she asked? <laughs> Is this a positive thing? <laughs> it was positive. You guys thought I was setting you up to be Judas? You guys, do you not know me at all? Look at us. One of us. Not one of you. One of us will betray Jesus. You can have a seat. See, that's the kind of intimacy we're talking about. Not nameless, faceless crowds, not somebody out there somewhere looking eyeball to eyeball and saying, one will do it. No one is excluded. I have a question for you. What would you do if you had a betrayer in your circle of friends? What would you do if you looked in a small group like that and you said, one of you will betray me? What would you do? We're going to wrap it up here. Verse 22. Look at what the word says. While they were eating, the meal continued. Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take it. This is my body. I mean, to me, the most powerful thing about asking the question, what would you do? And to see what Jesus did. And it says, while they were still eating, we were out at the square yesterday for the uh, fl uh, flip, uh, flea market flip thing. We bought more food than we needed, and we ended up with one package of hot dog buns left. Huh? One package of hot dog buns left. And like a bunch of good Christians, everybody's going, do you want the hot dog bun? You take it. You got a bigger family than that. No, I don't want the hot dog buns. And someone said, I don't know who it was, Holy Spirit inspired it. Somebody said, that's communion. What? Hot dog buns? While they were eating. That's what it says. I know many of you may have been raised in a tradition like I was where, where the communion is high and holy and other and foreign, but not a common meal. I know some of you are biblical scholars, and you're going to say, oh, yeah, but this was a Passover meal, and it was unleavened bread, and there's a table uh, practice, and there's all these things that happen. But the word in Mark says, while they were still eating, Jesus took the bread. 
I, I think we make God so foreign for us because it makes it safer for us. We, we make him a, a distant thing that special people, priests and pastors and really, really holy people deal with because we believe we're far from him, but we're not. Jesus' Passover meal was not about some God out there somewhere doing something, but this is what he said. This is my body. Take it and eat. The word says that he eucharistoed. He gave thanks for the food. And then he turned it into an illustration. It's not bread. It's me. Eat it. Here's his response. Here's his response when facing betrayers. Thank you. Breaking himself. Giving himself. And saying, take it. The word says that he took the cup in verse 23. And he gave thanks. That's the same word. He eucharistoed it. We know that. And he offered the cup to each one of them, and they each drank from it. That is what the word says. And he said these words, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. We were making some jokes yesterday about communion and communion experiences, you know, and how we do uh, juice. Some do wine. and Maybe other people do other things. But Jesus himself, when he was there, made it about more than juice or wine because this is what he said. He said, this is my blood. And he didn't just say it's my blood, like he said, that's my body broken. He said, this is my blood. And he said, my blood is poured out for you. Not only that, he said, it's a new promise. What you're about to witness in the Gospel of Mark is a new thing. It's foreign to us and that it's not what we would do. This is my blood of the covenant, the promise. I want to hit it real fast. This is my blood of the covenant, the promise. If you have been a Bible scholar for a while, you'll know, yeah, I've studied covenant before. I know what it means. If you've not, awesome, because it's not that complicated. You take an animal, you cut the animal in half, you open the, the animal up, and you stand between the animal, and you say, may I be like this animal if my promises aren't kept. Covenant promise, a blood oath. And he says, this body and this blood is a new promise and poured out for many. Jesus' promise, listen to me. And I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying it to anybody. If you believe that God keeps his word, your life will be different. I get it. The world says, be afraid, freak out, don't take the risk, keep it safe. And God says, go. Why? Because this is a new promise made in my blood. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I will not taste it again until I taste it new in the kingdom of God. This is me on the table for you. I want to say, uh, guess who's still there? Judas. Still there. Still true. And Jesus says, this is my promise poured out. 
for many. I don't know if you guys have, um, I'm a Johnny Cash fan, a little bit of Johnny Cash fan. And there's this great song called 25 Minutes to Go. Anybody know that song? It's like a pretty, whatever you call it, it's pretty uh, obscure work. But it's this prisoner getting ready to die. And he's doing all this stuff, his last meal. The preacher comes and sees him. He calls the governor. But this ain't no show on TV. And he's counting down the minutes. Don't miss it. This isn't a ritual we've invented. This is Jesus knowing what's coming and saying, this is my promise for you. I will be divided for you. I will be slain for you. His last moments with the disciples, the betrayer at the table, it's for you. I say that because I think that we believe a lie. We believe that Jesus died for the good people and the rest of the people can go to hell. That's what I think we believe. But the meal says otherwise. I will die for sinners. Surely not I. Right? I will die for betrayers. Surely not I. What would you do if you had a betrayer in your circle of friends? What would you do if you had invested and you had loved and you had cared and you had been honest and sincere and forthright and always good and they were about to betray you, what would you do? Jesus gave thanks. Jesus broke himself. Jesus gave himself. And Jesus poured himself out. I want to say this is not a, this is not a, my hope is not that you would get inspired and you would just go, I'm going to go pour myself out for others. That's not the hope. That we would recognize that Jesus poured himself out for us. That as we enter into the last part of Mark, we recognize that when he died on the cross, it wasn't some foreign time for some foreign place, but it was for me right here, right now, in the middle of my sin and my betrayal and my lies. And he's pouring himself out in a new promise made in his name. It's not about what we do. It's about who he is. 27 is his assessment. You will all fall away. Because it is written... I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, listen to the promise, I will go ahead of you in Galilee. Peter declared, even if everyone else falls away, I will not. Now you have one in 12. Peter, I'm not going to be the guy. They might. I won't be the guy. And Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, today, even tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And look at what the word says. I had to get here. Look what the word says. And all the others agreed and said the same. Every person said, even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I won't betray you. No way. I want to pray. And we're going to share communion together. I'm going to ask us to think deeply about the fact that the table is not for the privileged few who are good enough. But the table is for sinners who betrayed Jesus, but he gives himself anyway. It's for people who are following him and know him. 
Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much and we come into your house to bring you praise and you glory today. And I pray, Father God, that your name be made great among the nations, but first in my heart and first in the hearts of those who are here that we would exalt you and worship you and celebrate you, that we would recognize that you are at the table with us and you're offering yourself. I pray against the liar who whispers and says, but not you. He, he doesn't mean you. Jesus doesn't mean you. Because that one's a liar. But Jesus is a truth teller. The blood of a promise that we kept. As we've come into your word and we've experienced you, I pray that we would just not make it a Sunday morning thing. It would be a life thing. It would change us. I pray that as the days come and the adversity comes, that we would sit back in that place of you saying, no, you, you sent us. You know us. You have a plan. And we would find your blessed table set before us as we arrive. We love you so much. You've given us more than we deserve. And yet we long for more, which I think is an appetite that you give to us. May you be glorified as we come together now around your table. We love you so much. We pray that you would uh, make yourself known in our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.